This is unstructured. All right. Hey, everybody. Today, I get to have somebody else who has a challenging name for me to say. Um, this is Ladin Yurichek, and he is a world traveler. He is working in a company who does brain implants now. And I know Ladin through the uh, mixed mental arts community. How bad did I do on the name? Actually, really excellent. Like, uh, you know, I, I like to say that, that there's no right way to say my name, but uh, that's, that's probably the, the best way, the, the most agreeable way that, that you can say my name. So, yeah, thank you. Good job. <laughs> it took some work. And um, Hunter Motz, a, a fellow friend of ours, wanted to know how to say it as well. So <laughs> did some research to try to see if I get it right. Obviously, I can't get an accent in there because I'm so American, I can't even fake them. <laughs> so now Ladin, um you've traveled to over 100 countries in the world yep and you have a bit of an origin story on that um i, th I believe your your mother encouraged this yeah, believe it or not, she's kind of the one that, uh, I guess, kicked me out of the house in this way, <laughs> which usually doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, so, so we were kind of travelers, you know, our family, uh, we were kind of travelers before. Uh, so it wasn't like completely alien, but definitely this all really started when I was, when I had finished my first year of university, first year of, you know, my bachelor's, and I was going to take summer classes. And, you know, this is three months during the summer and like half the students are there, half not. It's kind of like a, like a half serious semester. Uh, and she's like, no, don't do that. You're working too hard. Uh, I was, you know, working at UPS at the time and just like was never home. And she's just like, ah, you need to go out and enjoy yourself. And so she's like, go, go out and have, you know, one of those European backpacking experiences and, and do kind of something that I did, you know, when I was a child too. So, so yeah, she's like, I'll, I'll buy you, I'll buy you a flight wherever you want to go. And then, yeah, you can, you can just go travel during the summer. I'm just like, okay, cool. And so I had wanted to go to Russia. And so I went to Russia and I, I told my why, friend, why I have no idea. Uh, that was just something that was on my mind. And, and uh, you know, maybe because, because my background is Slovak, my, my mom and my dad are Czech and Slovak. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm just like, I, I wanted to see the motherland because I had heard about it, you know, like this was the big brother, this was the Soviet, you know, like okay. over, overlord of, of Slovakia. But uh, it just, it just kind of fascinated me, you know? And uh, so, so that for some reason, that, that's the place I wanted to go. Um, was it a shadow on your life? A shadow in my life or what? Um, the USSR. Um, both huh. of your parents, I guess, grew up behind the iron curtain. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So I'm guessing that that childhood probably came up in conversation and I'm sure that they acted a certain way because of where they grew up or how they were. So would the USSR be considered a shadow that was over your family? Like you just mentioned uh, Big Brother, place, things like that. Did you have the contrarian view in a way or deep inside to say? I really want to see this very important place that plays such a figure in my parents' life who I imagine you love and want to follow. Yeah, that's a really good point. 
Um, yeah, I would say so. Like, uh, it was it was also always kind of matter of fact. It wasn't like oh these horrible people or something. They they totally screwed us over, mm-hmm. which is definitely the the opinion of a lot of the people there, uh, or you know some of the people there. But uh, it was just kind of more like yeah you know this is this is what it, this is how it was and and you know it sucked or it wasn't it wasn't pleasant it wasn't communism wasn't good it wasn't a good idea but uh, it wasn't ever you know that extreme but still i did recognize i mean that that was actually uh very astute of you to to you know catch on this i, I don't think i even caught that it was that 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 was something that i grew up with and that's something that that i guess fascinated me so i'm just like i want to see this like kindly uh or like kind of uh maleficent kind of slightly evil place and i want to go check it out because it's a little bit um you know off the beaten track and it's a little bit uh you know, especially for Americans, it's not very common. It's a little bit taboo. So, so maybe that was it too. It, it was kind of like uh, seeing this slight taboo. That makes sense. So, even an even bigger exotic adventure. Exactly. Exactly. So taboo for uh, for Americans and for my family too. It's just like, well, why why do you want to go there? I mean, it's like people wouldn't be against it, but uh, yeah, it, it was a little bit of a taboo. And and uh, that that was another thing. Like I. Uh, basically had met one friend that I knew, like I, I had seen around in high school, you know, and we became, you know, decent friends. And, and literally after like two weeks of hanging out with him in university, I'm like, Hey man, do you want to go to Russia with me? And he's like, okay. <laughs> like he, he just had broken up with his girlfriend at that time. And, and uh, so he's like, you know, I got nothing better to do. And so we spent the next, you know, eight months or whatever, planning that out. And uh, you know, so Russia was definitely on the list. And then, then we're like, okay, well let's, let's do like a, uh, um, you know, a, a trail or a, tra- a road, you know, through all these different places. And then those plans changed a bunch, but um, you know, for him too, that was, that was a taboo. And I guess like the whole communism thing, that was, that was pretty big for him. And he, he really enjoyed that, you know, taboo nature of, of like later on, I remember he was like, Oh, we should get these books that were banned, you know, in the seventies and eighties banned from the U S like, do not sell this. This book is banned. So it's just like, whoa, this is this is so crazy that that you're like <laughs> on the other side of of this thing that uh, you weren't supposed to see, like the anarchist cookbook and yeah, yeah, things of that nature. Exactly. No, of I course think now was, we have the internet, so it's all out there. Exactly. Now it's now it's not as special, but you know, this was 2008, 2009. So like, yeah, the, the internet was there. We we knew about it and everything like this, and and you know, we anarchist cookbook. I think I had seen it, you know, five years before that, uh, but but still, it was. It, it is still kind of taboo, you know, and to actually see a physical book saying this is banned in the U.S., that's it's kind of cool. So where in the United States were you um, going to school and working at UPS? Uh, Salt Lake City at the University of Utah. Oh, wow. OK. And is that where your parents live? Um, yeah, they, they were. Uh, we were there at that time, but I was born in Seattle. So maybe when I was like 12 or 14, we moved there uh, from Seattle. So those are those are my two places that that uh, in America that I had uh, lived Oh, okay. Interesting. That's, I, I guess that you would um, find travel companions there because of a lot of missionaries and, and things of that sort. They definitely, I'm sure, encourage travel out of Salt Lake. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's the reason that they have an international airport because it is kind of a smallish city, but it is pretty well connected. And I think that the missionaries really do that. But from my experience, the missionaries weren't that adventurous. It was just kind of like, okay, uh, they literally have like two free hours per week where they can literally do laundry and, and call their family and everything else is just regimented. So, so they're not, 
used to adventure so much. So we, we, we would actually meet a lot of missionaries on, on our trips and we'd be like, Hey, we're from, you know, we're from the mothership. <laughs> we're not, you know, we're not, part of the mother, <laughs> we're not part of the religion, but we're from the mothership. So, uh, it, it was, it was kind of interesting in that sense. But, um, you know, even when we hung out with them, like while we were traveling, I remember in Armenia, we, we hung out with one, um, you know, a few for a day and, uh, they weren't that interesting. And they, like, they were even there for a year. They were in Armenia, but they, it almost felt like we knew more after like a week and they were doing like huge, I don't know, cultural faux pas that, that, you know, we knew not to do. And, and, uh, it was, it, it's kind of, they were a little bit lame, honestly. So, so, uh, it, it was still interesting to talk to them, but, uh, and in the end, I don't think we, we necessarily seek them out, but, but, uh, and then, and then talking to them when they, you know, like the ones that had come back and, and, you know, when we, when we got back to the mothership, then, uh, it was, it was also, they, they, they didn't have as many interesting stories as we did, I guess. Well, could it be because of their approach? Um, yeah, definitely. the mission intent is to recruit people into your way of thinking. You were trying to oh. learn from the people on the other side. That's very, very and, good. Yeah. I was doing exactly the opposite of a missionary. Yes. So they're busy delivering a message and not learning. You're there to learn from the people. So yeah. you might find them lame. Yeah. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Now you mentioned, um, I think in another podcast, I, I tend to binge and, and uh, cyber stock people before I interview <laughs> them. Um, your father was a fisherman? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so he, he passed away in uh, 1999. But yeah, he was a fisherman up in Alaska. Um, and so he would, he would go basically, you know, those guys, they, they earn their money in like a month or two, you know, and, and that's enough money for the whole year. Uh, so the rest of the time he was just kind of, um, he had some properties up by the, uh, you know, some cabins up by the, the Canadian border in Washington state. And so he just kind of like mess around up there and just fix it up or, like try to fix it up or a lot of times he would just destroy stuff. And, and, um, yeah, so, so, uh, he had wanted to take me fishing, going fishing up in Alaska sometime, but, uh, unfortunately I didn't. And, uh, I think that would have been a really cool experience. So it was he like on those boats that they have on TV, the, the really intense, um, very dangerous, scary, uh, no, not really. I, I, he was a salmon fisherman. So, uh, I don't think that was as intense. Like, I think, I think the crab fishing is, is that that's the most dangerous one. And, uh, you can only go for like two weeks or whatever a month, but, uh, you know, the, the salmon fishing, it didn't sound as dangerous. So I'm not exactly sure, but, but yeah, it could have been, it could have been pretty intense. That's pretty cool though. I, I like that idea. So he, he essentially would be away from home for a while, go collect the money. And then you guys as a family would travel together. Um, yeah. So what we would do, um, you know, he, he had bought a pickup and a camper like cab over camper. So like the, the, the little shell thing that goes in the, in the back of the pickup. And, um, I don't know, we had bought a house down in Mexico, Cabo San Lucas at the tip of the peninsula. Um, and so hmm. we, we went down there pretty often. I, I think when I was like four years old or something, three years old, we, we took a road trip all the way down from Seattle, uh, which is, you know, the, the Northwest coast, uh, of the U S and then, and then all the way down 
through Mexico to Belize and Guatemala and all these places and then went back. And I think that was something like three months. So there was a lot of free time to do this kind of stuff just because, you know, the work only requires you like two months per year or three months per year maybe. And uh, so, yeah, we, we did this kind of stuff, but, but also like in a very cheap way, like very ghetto cheap way. And um, so, so I guess that would stretch the funds a little bit further as well. Well, cool. And I'm guessing that the countries weren't as expensive. So maybe it was easier to sustain, get food, you know, whatever places yeah, to stay definitely. or park. Definitely. Um, and I guess you uh, spent some time in Nicaragua and uh, maybe saw some contraction or something. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't till I was like, I don't know, 18 or 20 or something like this, that, that, you know, my mom was talking about the stories that I'm just like, wait, history class. That was like 92, 93. That was like when the, the Contras were going through and she's talking about like, oh yeah, you know, we'd just be driving through the jungle very slowly. You're going like, you know, five, 10 miles per hour. And uh, then there'd just be like a bunch of soldiers, like crossing the, you know, crossing the jungle, crossing the road and everything like this. And, uh, I, I remember, I think it was in Mexico. We, we picked up some like soldiers as hitchhikers and I was very wary of them. I think they, they were their fatigues and they were, they had guns and stuff like this, but I don't think in Mexico they were, they were fighting a war, but, but yeah, it is, it is kind of crazy to be like, Oh shoot. I think I was there during a war, the Iran Contra, you know, affair and, and this kind of, uh, um, Sandinistas. The Sandinistas, yeah, this this uh, covert CIA operations and everything like this. So uh, it's just like, oh, I had no idea that I was part of history. <laughs> or at least driving through it. That's driving through cool. history, exactly. <laughs> so now, um, since you spent so much time in Latin America, did, was Spanish one of your early languages? You know, not really. Uh, I, I never really learned Spanish to such a good level. I guess... I guess maybe I was still kind of the one translate. Like at, at this point, well, we, we were traveling to Mexico and and you know the Latin America. That was basically between ages of like two and ten, you know. So so I guess maybe if I was translating for them, then it was you know as good as a six year old can translate for for an adult. But uh, yeah, it, unfortunately, it's not, and and it's not. Spanish is not as close to my heart as you know my other languages, so Slovak or Czech and Slovak or. Uh, English. Those are very comfortable and 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 very um, uh, yeah. I'm very comfortable with them, cozy uh, with them. But but Spanish is a little bit outside of that sphere of um, comfort, I guess. Now, Czech and Slovak are are two different languages, and but they're similar. Is that like um like Italian and Spanish? Yeah. So uh, they're they're very similar. Uh, I think I think I saw something like ninety percent same uh there are definitely some differences but it used to be one country czechoslovakia and so the mm -hmm. broadcasts were in both languages and so now i mean uh, czech republic is is bigger it's 15 million people and slovakia is smaller like 5 million so you know everybody in slovakia knows czech and they can speak czech because mm -hmm. a lot of i would say at least a third of broadcasts in radio and tv are in czech um and sometimes like dubbed movies are only in czech but uh, a smaller percentage of uh, Czech people uh, can understand Slovak, but still, it's it's definitely not um, you know it, it's still very high. So so whenever I've gone there, it's it's always been the the immigrants, the Vietnamese people that that, that don't understand me or have trouble understanding me. But uh, yeah, it's it's mutually intelligible more or less. That's cool, and I think you said it's not that far off from Russian, or yeah, yeah, it's pretty similar to Russian. Um, you know, of the Slavic languages, I think Russian is the most dissimilar so polish or ukrainian is, is more similar croatian also uh but but it is still very similar so it would be 
um, yeah, like the Spanish or Italian or Spanish and Romanian, something like this. So, so still like in the same family, but, but maybe farther away in the same family. So it, it was very easy for me to learn. Hmm, okay. So, oh, so maybe it's uh, more like a Tagalog to Spanish. Uh, no, not, not that far because that, that has, uh, Tagalog has, uh, has more, has like Spanish influence, but it's, I think the root is something different. Oh, okay. Yeah. All this I find completely fascinating. Now, um, Czechoslovakia was, uh, the Bohemian Republic at one point. Exactly. Kingdom. Yeah. Now, when they split into two countries, like they didn't have a war with each other, did they? That was no. more Yugoslavia, correct? It was called the Velvet Revolution when Czech Republic and Slovakia split. Like they're still on very good terms with each other, and you know, there's lots of intermarriage, and it's it's not a problem at all. Like, yeah, it's it it was completely uh, mutual. Why did they split? Just uh, felt like they wanted each have their own identity, and yeah, agree? exactly. So you know, different language, different culture. Um. Slovakia is more farming and more maybe rural, uh, more mountains and everything like this. And then Czech is more city. That's where Prague is at. So uh, they they kind of more of an economic driver and everything like this. So um, yeah, I I actually don't really know. <laughs> well, I, I was always curious about it because I know that um, I mean Yugoslavia, if I recall, had really really bad time. Yeah, but they had they had differences in religion too. They they have you know Christians and, and Muslims there too. So so that was huge and. Um, it is, it is very strange. Like, yeah, I think that was more forced. That had always been very forced. And then um, Czech and Slovak is, is, is actually very, um, you know, they're, they're the people like each other. So it's, it's, not, it's not like uh, an issue. It's not like a forced, an arranged marriage where, where they hate each other. It's more like, yeah, I don't know, something else. <laughs> well, cool. And um, how are they with um, the countries around them? Like, uh, I guess Belarus is nearby and... Um... Ukraine, et cetera. Yeah. Is it kind of a friendly, you know, similar cultures, all former, I don't know what you would call them, um, vassals to the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And ha- Austrian Hungarian empire, like they all used to be like forced together. Um, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I'm going to talk from, from the point of view of Slovakia. Uh, they, they like everybody. Uh, Poland, I think is very close. Ukraine, you know, people like uh, Ukraine, uh, they love Austria because that's kind of like, okay, that's where everybody goes for the jobs. And that's kind of the, the high end. And I think from the Czech Republic side, Germany is kind of like, okay, we, we love Germany They're They, you know, they're very rich and they're, they're nice to us, something like this. So, um, but the one exception for Slovakia is Hungary, Hungary. Uh, Slovakians hate Hungarians. Uh, I guess there was like some border disputes and my family too really doesn't like Hungarian, uh, or hung, hung, uh, hungarians and hungarian um so apparently like my i don't know how would you call it like grandmother-in-law or i'm not exactly sure but but apparently she speaks hungarian but she hasn't spoken it in like 50 years because it's just so uh they, they hate each other so much and i think there was like border disputes and from what i've heard it's very silly like it's it's literally like if slovakia um gave like gave back four a four kilometer stretch of land in like some parts of hungary that would literally um that would literally solve the dispute and uh because there's a lot of hungarians living in, in slovakia so they're always like oh the hungarians want to take over slovakia and make it like a hungarian state um so <laughs> i don't know it, it's very silly but but yeah if, if slovakia you know gave up that four kilometer stretch of land then then it'd be like okay well there goes like 80 percent of our hungarians and it's not an issue anymore so i don't know i don't know what to think about that that sounds weird. There's always the um, 
the nearby state yeah. or the country, other, I guess, who asks that, oh, them. Yeah. Like everybody but them. And then as a, a polyglot, um, from what I understand, Hungarian is one of the most difficult languages in the world. It is. So, so they make a lot of fun of the, the people who speak Hungarian because it's like, you know, you can't even begin to understand versus like Polish. It's like, yeah, I kind of, I know what you're talking about. We can have a, a forced conversation if we have to, but Hungarian is completely like, you know, probably, I don't know, uh, like Hindi or something to, to any of us. It's just completely like, pff, I have no idea. Um, so, so yeah, they, that, that's probably another addition to, to the animosity. Um, but it's, it's kind of fun. I, I like it here because when I'm in the U S you know, I'm, I'm in Florida now. Uh, so I kind of maintain that like, Oh, fucking Hungarians. I hate Hungarians. And, and here it's kind of funny, <laughs> you know, here it's kind of a cute, cute thing. Uh, and, and it's, it's a way to be, I don't know about racist, but it's a way to show how silly, you know, this, this animosity, this, this like racism or this other, other ism is. And, and it's, it's just fun. <laughs> it's a team team thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your team's love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a question for you because you you mentioned um, languages close to your heart and things like that. When you walk outside and look at a tree, what do you call it or think of? Um, probably, probably in English. I would probably think in English. I mostly think in English. You know, especially now in the U.S. and even when I was living in Germany, uh, a lot of my thinking was in English. But uh, it depends, you know, sometimes I get in a loop in, in a different language and, uh, you know, and that can be, you know, Spanish or, or German or something like this, but, uh, you know, Slovak as well. Like, it's almost like if I'm primed a certain way, then, then that's what will happen. Uh, so if I have, I don't know, a Spanish friend, then I'll, I'll think, you know, in that way. But maybe the default would be English. Yeah, I've always been curious about that. And especially that makes sense. So the priming is you're you're communicating with somebody in that language. So you start to, you're adapting to it to keep track. Cause I'd worry about you substituting words all the time. Like, you know, you could say it in 10 different ways. Um, or do you ever have issues with that? Yeah, that does happen. Uh, especially, I mean, not in English because my English is so, so strong, but in other languages, if I'm not as good and I can't think of something, I'm just like, oh, I can think of it in two other languages. I can think of the, the word in two other languages, but I can't think of it in this language. So, uh, that's frustrating, but usually it just, you know, it's a five second pause. I'm just like, uh, and then, and then I can, you know, then I can finally, uh, spit it out. Do you have problems with uh, structuring? Because I mean, um, I think German has the verbs at the end and, and, and different things. Do you, do you ever find yourself like restructuring sentences in weird ways because you just got through talking to somebody in a particular language? Um, not so much like between switching, but uh, with, with just generally speaking German, you have to like almost think about the whole sentence before you say it because how you, what you're going to say it, it determines, you know, like, like wh where you put each word and, and you have to put the, some of the words before the other ones. So for me, I have to, I, uh, sometimes in English and other languages, I, I can almost like be thinking as I'm speaking and it, it makes sense. It's okay. But, but not in German. So I have to like, you know, chunk it and then, and then do it like that. So, so that's, that's a little bit difficult. And then I do mess up sometimes, especially with like compound sentences. Um, I'm still a little bit fuzzy on that, you know, like, okay, okay, this, 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 and then plus this, 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 and then how does that go? And, and I think that could be a reflection of me actually thinking as I'm talking, not so much thinking of the whole sentence. So, uh, if I was a real German, then, then, uh, I would, I would be able to just be like, okay, I know what I'm going to say for the next 10 seconds. <laughs> 
Now, um, you speak all these languages. Are you also literate in all these languages? Yeah. So I'm reading a book um, in in German now. Uh, like maybe Russian, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be literate. I'm, I'm a bit scared to read a book, uh, but, but that is something that I, I want to do maybe this year or next year, like read a whole book in, in Russian. Spanish, I've read, you know, five, six books. Um, Slovak too, I've read a few books. So um, yeah, it's in and, and French too. Like I don't count French as, as one of my languages, but uh, I, I've, I've read like half of a, sm- a small book, a page book or something like this, but, but uh, it's, it's especially, especially the French uh, it's, very tiring. It's mentally, uh, yeah, very, very tiring. But you can at least, uh, I guess then you're, um, literate enough to read street signs, menus. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. And be around. So that's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Definitely. Definitely. That, that's not a problem at all. It's just, yeah. I mean, well, some, sometimes I miss some nuances in the story, you know, like I was reading, um, uh, Paulo Coelho book. And it was pretty cool because I then, I then went on Wikipedia after I finished it and there's like, okay, there's like 11 points to this book or there's like 11 things that happen. I'm just like, Oh cool. Like I got, I got nine of them or, or nine or 10. I'm just like, wait, when did that thing happen? I, I don't, I don't remember that thing at all, but, but uh, you know, so, so it is, I almost look at it. I almost see it as like looking through a lens or looking through, you know, like dirty glass or something like this. And, and with English, it's, mm-hmm. it's about as clean as you can get with the, with the glass. And then, you know, Slovak is a little bit, a little bit smudgy or whatever. And then with some of them, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like translucent almost. And, and it's not, you know, but you can still see, you can still make out some stuff, but with, with extra effort. So um, it's, it's, you definitely lose a lot of resolution, I guess. How about with um, accents? Uh, I imagine your um, Slovak uh, or, and Czech are, nearly accentless because you grew up speaking them uh, yeah just like your english is obviously flown yeah so i what about others it's not a natural thing for you know people like unless they really practice it unless they really spend a lot of time uh you know in the country or i don't know being corrected with their accent it's not automatic that that you know the the mother language would be uh accentless but yeah my mine is accentless because well, honestly, I credit, I got made fun of a lot, you know, and they're just like, oh, your American accent, you know, and they're just the, like, they, they, well, they accented the R's, which is, which is what uh, Americans do. And that's so I eventually learned to not do that. Um, but because, because I have the American and the, the Slovak. Can you explain that? Yeah. So, um, so, so, okay. So in, in Slovak, you would say internet, uh, but in, in English, obviously you say internet with a deep R, like R. Like you put the the tongue okay. in the back of your throat versus in Spanish internet uh, is is uh, like kind of the R is more forward and uh, it's it's a it's actually a completely different sound and and so that that's really mm. what it is it's the accent is just hitting the sounds and hitting it in the rhythm that the people are used to so Spanish is a little bit little bit more like a talking and da, 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 and it's, it's kind of more dancing. And German's like very flat and and very uh, arrhythmic almost. So you have to you have to hit you have to hit the notes in the right rhythm, and uh, then you learn language like oh man that's like a song. And actually those are, that that's when you speak the best accent is when you're singing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard like foreigners sing. They they sing amazing, mm-hmm. you know. And then and then they speak it just like whoa your accent's very like I had no idea that you were uh, you're foreign. And then and then when they sing they sing perfectly. Like all the um, British singers who do the blues. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. I don't know about that, but I'll, I'll believe you. Um, if you listen to the bands, they'll be like, I was going down to the bot, you know, and it sounds like, it, and okay, you know, level's good. Yeah. I'll really, 
<laughs> I'm like, what? Because they all sounded like um black um blues delta men. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly the um that's exactly what I'm talking about. And a lot of a lot of polyglots I know, they teach through singing and you kind of you sing like one mm. one phrase at a time in French, for example, and then you you get down the you get down the the uh the accent really, really well. So how would you recommend somebody um go about tackling a language yeah so a language is you know that's like a huge thing it's just like oh my god how do i even start Mm -hmm. um but that's the thing now now that i've learned a few like three four uh i'm like you know it is it is big it's huge uh but it's simple it's simple but it's not easy and basically what i would say is if you can say five thousand words if you've like memorized five thousand words um I think you're 80% there, you know, and then the grammar, that's, that's another thing on top of it, but that's not as difficult as the actual vocabulary. And so if you have that vocabulary and, um, you know, and you understand it and you're, you're like fluent in the vocabulary, you're like, boom, boom, boom. I know the vocabulary. Um, then, then you can, you know, then you can kind of string together something and then eventually figure out the grammar and the nuances of the grammar. That's, that's my approach, I guess. So basically, um, if, if I say like, okay, well, you know, let's say you're learning Japanese or something like this and you hear like, okay, fish, running, you know, catch, then you're like, okay, well, I can start to put together some kind of idea of what's going on here in this, in this sentence or, you know, and then, then that guy, you know, and, and uh, so, so you can be like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but it's definitely like two or three, like he caught it, he caught a fish or, or the fish caught him or, you know, something like this. So, so at that point you're, you're much clearer, like of the infinite possibilities that somebody could be talking about. Now you're down to like two or three. And then the grammar is a thing that, that gets it down to one. Um, so my, my opinion is the grammar is not so important in the beginning until you can have like a five minute conversation with somebody, uh, you know, unscripted and, and not following, uh, you know, a dialogue box or something like this, then probably don't even care about, uh, grammar so much so it's just it's just a question of learning words and you know if you do 20 words per day you know how long does that take you to learn 5,000 words you know that's, that's it gets it gets to be pretty fast like like in in about a year you could you could get you could get there pretty easily so so it's words and structure like you to start with you might say sound like to us i go store yeah exactly five-year-old or, or like a little kid exactly is that what you're emulating definitely definitely and then you know you're understandable you're, you're communicating which is which is what you want but if you don't know the word for store and you're just like uh, i go i am going you know and then you just like then then the i go store i think is much more useful than i am going you know some like and then then you don't remember the last word so uh yeah that, that's that's my opinion Okay. And so, um, I think you said somewhere else before that the idea of just full immersion is not necessarily a great choice. Yeah. So I, I had moved to Germany, you know, to do my master's, uh, I I did this five years ago and I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm in Germany now. I'm just going to by osmosis, I'm just going to absorb the language. And, and, you know, I I am going to study a little bit, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to pick it up and trust me, that does not happen. (laughs) Uh, and especially unless, unless you are at this, like, intermediate level uh and i would say even higher more than the five minutes conversation uh unless you're at like i don't know even like a 20 minute conversation if you can if you can be with somebody in a bar and and like comfortably talk to them and you know like have a normal conversation they don't like run away or something like this that's that's when i would say 
is the point when when living in a country could be beneficial because otherwise it's just like drinking out of a fire hose it's just too much every day it's like yeah i learned passive perfect verbs or you know whatever you would learn in a class and then you know you're like oh i'm i'm so successful i feel so good about myself i'm so smart and then you go to the shop and then you have no idea what they're saying and it's going to be like that for at least 6 months you're just going to be like oh my god it's it's too much all the time so um yeah uh it's 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 rough, you know, and, and so you, you kind of want to, um, I don't know, skip that a little bit, you know, and, and learn on your own, look like a complete idiot by yourself and then look like less of an idiot when you're out. Mm. And, and then when they respond to you, you can adapt easier. Is that, exactly. is that like you're cleaning the window metaphor that the window is extremely muddy? Exactly. You can sort of see an image on the other side and it, what does that feel like? Because that, that has to have a, a feeling when things click. Can you describe that at all? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I would stick with that cleaning the window metaphor. It's just like, I took my finger and cleaned a small little part. And that's just like, Oh, I can see what's going through. I can see what's going on through that, that little clean part of the finger. And now, now it's a little bit, uh, now it's a little bit clearer. Yeah. So, so I guess, I guess this would be something like this is like, you have a, you have a big window and then just every day you're, you, 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 take your finger and, and you you're able to clean a little part and sometimes you don't clean it all the way sometimes you have to go in you know a few times to get it absolutely clean but um yeah each day is just like a little finger clean so uh it, it's really nice because then you're like okay i'm starting to figure out what's what's going on on the other side of this window and uh it's it's just more clear and you don't have to work as hard to try to make out what's going on on the other side Okay. And uh, I guess a, a basic level of grammatical structure is helpful, like knowing that the verbs go before this or that goes yeah, before that. Definitely. But that's, again, I don't think that's nearly as time intensive as actually learning the vocabulary, like getting the meat behind it, like putting the structures together is, is not as difficult. And again, you can start sound like Tarzan. It's not a big deal. Uh, but I would say the vocabulary is the most important thing. Well, I think you said that um, the people um, in many countries seem to enjoy the fact that you're making the effort and may tolerate your Tarzan sound. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it can be cute, you know, for, for girls or, you know, the opposite sex or, you know, whatever you're interested in, then, then it can be, it can be an attractive thing. And, uh, it's, it's kind of endearing to see somebody struggle and just keep going at it and, and everything like this. So, uh, they, they like it. I mean, in some countries, if they're not used to it, then, you know, they get bored of you very quickly. But uh, or in some countries where there's a lot of foreigners, sorry. So like in Germany, everybody's trying to learn German. So uh, if you're in the cities, then people don't want to speak German. They don't want it like they've they've heard it before, and it's it's not nothing special. But if you're in a rural area or just in a country speaking a language where not a lot of people uh, want to learn it, so like Turkey or India or something like this, where um, where it's just like okay there's literally a handful of people who are learning that language, then, then people are like blown away and you can make friends very, very quickly. And that's actually my, my plan is, um, you know, I want to learn Hindi so that I can get a few free meals here and there and be like, Hey, you know, white guy that speaks Hindi, no way. And he's like, like calling the cooks over, you know, and it's like, Oh, what do you want? We will make you anything. And that, that's my goal. Anyways. <laughs> so your goal is to always eat free. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's a cool attitude. Now, um, does your attitude help too? Like when they laugh at you, you can laugh at yourself. Does that help? Um, oh, establish for sure. bonds? If you're, if you're a perfectionist, then you're never going to learn a language. I mean, there's some polyglots, there's some like language teachers that are like, you need to make a hundred mistakes per day. 
that is your goal. It's not to improve. It's not to do anything. You need to make a hundred mistakes per day because that's actually how you're going to learn is uh, by making the mistakes. And it's inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that definitely has to be your mindset. And, you know, so I don't mind being the idiot. I don't mind being laughed at and I'll be, I'll be the one that goes out on a limb or something like this. And I don't know if that's my personality or if that's something that I've gotten used to because of the language learning, but it's definitely an uncommon thing, especially now coming back here to the U S is just like, Whoa, these people aren't, you know, ready to take risks. And, and these people that I'm at, you know, in science, they're, they're kind of like, Oh, it needs to be structured. And, and I can't, I can't afford to make a mistake. So, uh, it's, it's very strange, you know, it, but it helps. I think it, it can help in, in life as well. That's so cool. Um, you've talked about other things like uh, couch surfing, which um, I think that everyone has to be interested in. Um, can you explain that a little more? Yeah, everybody should be interested in it because it's a free way to travel. <laughs> so basically, instead of buying accommodation, buying hotels or going to hostels or something like this, then you can literally stay at somebody's place for free and they can be like, hey, I got a, I got a free couch in my living room. You can sleep there if you want. You can sleep for free and I'll let you stay for free. And, you know, maybe they want to hear some travel stories or they want to learn about you. I, I host people. I've hosted two people in the last two weeks and it was, no, three people, uh, three people in the last three weeks. And it was really cool. Like some of them were here for conferences. And so I got to talk about, about theoretical archaeology. I'm just like, that's cool. Like I'm never going to probably run into a person where I can sit down for like three hours and have a theoretical uh, archaeology conversation. So, um, you know, it's just stuff like this or sometimes language learning. I, I had a Russian couch surfer. So I'm just like, okay, you can come, but we need to speak Russian and, uh, you need to help my Russian. He's like, okay. And so, you know, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, and I've done this like all over the world. You can do it all over the world. And, and by doing that, it literally cuts your, uh, travel expenses in half. Because accommodation, as a good rule of thumb, is about half of your of your cost, and then food and you know whatever is is the rest. And because usually they have a kitchen, you can again cut that in half. If you're like, okay, I'm not going to eat out. I'm going to buy like rice and chicken, rice and beans, and cook it in their kitchen. Uh, then you can again cook it, uh, cut it in half, and then it's just like museum entrances and you know a bus here and there. And then traveling can get very very cheap. See, that sounds amazing too, though, because it seems like you are within the culture immediately. Like when I travel, I deliberately, you know, I only travel here in the States for the most part or whatever, but as a rule with my wife, I try to make it a point of never having a car and just plopping someplace and having few plans as possible to just kind of get a vibe of the environment. What you're describing seems to be even deeper because you're a local suddenly or with locals and if you did want to go out to eat, you'd be going to a place that the locals liked and probably get better food. Definitely. I, I 100% agree. It's like staying at a cousin's place or something like this. It's like, okay, well, we don't really know each other, but still we're somehow bounded together. And, and oh, it's happened a lot. Like, you know, they take me to a house party or I, I meet a bunch of their friends and, and just, you know, you, you, you're automatically plugged in like what you're saying and and you just got it in with the locals and, and you know what's going on you don't have to go to uh send your frogs all the time and and uh you know go to the tourist traps but you can actually go to the the good spots uh be it i don't know parties or events or you know concerts or restaurants or literally everything and anything and and then also they'll, they'll tell you like okay if, if you're here then you should go here 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 and um they'll they'll kind of 
potentially help set you up or at least show you on the map where, where you should go for, um, you know, exploring the area. That's so cool. Like, you know, just a built-in immersion technique. Yeah. I like the fact that you're, you've settled down now in Florida, at least for uh, maybe a year or two, correct? Yeah. You're, I, I think a year is, is uh, pretty much, uh, you know, assured, but it could be even longer, like four years if I decide to do my PhD here, which, which I'm leaning strongly, strongly towards, like I'm thinking 80, 90%. I think that's cool then that you're now bringing people to you. So you're in a, in essence, doing the reverse thing, but still getting the same benefit. Yeah. So instead of the uh, going into the family's house and trying to speak the language with them and learning their culture, you're bringing somebody here. And as you mentioned with the Russian, I think that's awesome. You're like, no, 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 no. Talk to me in Russian. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need, I need the practice because aren't you um, currently studying like a, a language every day for an hour, five languages or something? Yeah. Yeah. Very good on the research, by the way. Um, yeah, I'm doing that. So, so I find that if I study a language every day, uh, you know, for a month or whatever, then I get bored of it. And it's almost like it uses that one part of the brain and you just get tired of it. So I'm, I've learned to switch my languages. And so every day I do a different one. And, you know, every day of the week, every Monday, for example, it's the same one. Every, every Wednesday, it's the same one. Um, and in this way, it's almost like it uses different parts of the brain. And I can, um, I don't know, I can absorb it better. I'm not, I'm not like tired of it. I'm not bored of it or anything like this. So, um, yeah, so now I'm, I'm learning, uh, well, English, I'm, I'm improving my English vocabulary for the, uh, graduate level exam. Um, and then French, Spanish, Russian, uh, those are the, those are the four that I'm, um, that I'm doing. And then a little bit of German as well. Like I, I do, uh, Skype lessons and everything like this, but, but yeah, I, I love it. It's, it's, uh, it's excellent. I, I would recommend that as well. Do you um consume other culture to uh, help keeping up uh, keep up on it? Like you know, watch German movies, watch Russian movies, or watch TV shows in different different languages. You know, not only reading a book, but you know, watching them. No, not really. Um, I I was watching Game of Thrones in German, but uh, that ended up being too complicated for me because even in English, there's like subplots and they're you know you know intertwined and and then it wasn't till like the second season that I'm just like, wait those guys are brother and sister and they were having sex. And I'm just like, Oh no, I get it. Now. <laughs> and, and that wasn't until the second season. <laughs> so I was just like, at that oh, point, that's funny. at that point, I'm just like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm, you know, in over my head, but I love the cartoons. Uh, I love cartoons in German because it's like, I know what's going on. <laughs> but like YouTube videos. Uh, I, I should, oh, I, I do podcasts. Uh, so basically I don't watch too many, um, I watch documentaries mostly, but the thing is, you know, it's all on Netflix and I, I really don't find, you know, I have Spanish subtitles sometimes, but you know, it's, it's, it's more or less just in English, but I do have podcasts and I listen to French, German, Russian podcasts and Slovak uh, podcasts. Hmm. So, so that's, that's how I kind of keep up with um, the, you know, I don't know, the communication, not the, the hearing part of things. I, I don't know. There's a fancy word for that for, I'm sure, but, but the, um, auditory, learning. the auditory learning, the auditory side of things. So it's not just like, you know, reading or doing vocabulary or something like this. So, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's definitely necessary. And, and, you know, there could be a few weeks where I don't meet anybody who speaks German or, or Russian or something like this. So, uh, you got to keep it up somehow in a different way. Well, for reading too, uh, do you um, keep in touch with some of the people, like say on Facebook, and and chat with them, like the authors are there? I mean, no, people you've stayed with in different countries, or or oh. just friends from around the world who speak different languages. You can maybe practice uh, language skills through comments and Facebook. 
Yeah, that could work. Um, I do do that sometimes, but you know, if, if it was, if I counted the number of hours that I've done that in the last year, in the last, you know, 12 months, then it would probably be like two or three. So it's, it's not very much. Um, you know, I, that, that Russian couch surfer, he was telling me like, uh, well, he, he wrote, you know, he wrote me texts later. He's like, Hey, you have these really cool shoes. What are the name of the shoes? So it's, it's just that small. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of bad with keeping in touch. Uh, with people because if I'm not with them or if not in the same area, just because, sure. you know, I've just been so many places that, that I have to keep in touch with, you know, a thousand Facebook friends or something like that. So I'm just like, ah, eh, right. I don't feel like it, but, um, I don't know, like, like if I'm in the area then I do, it. but, but I do something called italki, I talk, I, and it's basically Skype lessons. So they have, um, they have two options. So you can do Skype interchange. So you teach English and then they teach you whatever target language, uh, or you can pay to just have, you know, only the target language that, that you, they're, they're teaching you. So that's, that's what I'm doing. That's, that's basically how I'm keeping up with my languages and, um, I'm doing the, the paid version. Uh, and I find that to be really, really nice to like, at least maintain the languages and, um, you know, be, uh, maybe improve slowly as well, but, uh, at least, at least I'm able to speak because I, I found actually when you're traveling, unless you're intentional about it, unless you're intentional about getting into the language uh, and, and like getting amongst people that don't speak English, you really might not mm-hmm. hit more than about an hour per day uh, of, of that target language. It really could be like, okay, I'm ordering, you know, sandwich or I'm, you know, I'm at the store. I'm, I'm, you know, talking to the, the cashier for 20 seconds and just, mm-hmm. just all these stacked up together, but you never have a conversation, you never stop on anybody on the road and be like, Hey, you know, what do you think about potatoes? And uh, you know, then, then, you, you, you could be in the country. So for example, I was like living in France and doing a work away. So, so work and travel. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think during my entire stay, I spent, spoke maybe like two hours of French over the course of a month. Wow. And, uh, you know, I could be doing these Skype lessons and getting, I, I usually do an hour per, per language per week, you know? So, uh, you can, it's almost, it's almost in some senses, it could be even faster than, than coming to the country mm-hmm. and cheaper too. Now you've, You've said though that the um that French are a little more judgmental on yeah whether you can speak it or not. Now is that only Paris? It could be. It could be. They, the they were pretty. They were pretty open where I was at. I was. I was more in the south and in like a village. So again, I didn't. I didn't speak that much. But uh, yeah, it was. You know, they they definitely weren't too judgmental. Okay, cool. I, 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 I was thinking about that and I mentioned it to my wife and she was like, that's Paris. <laughs> Cause they're just so sick of, you know, just like, Oh, another person trying, you know, with their 20 words, they're going to try to, you know, do something. But even no, I, I ordered a coffee in, in uh, Paris and, and, you know, they were, they're like, yeah, okay, cool. Whatever. They weren't like, Oh, boy, what the fuck? Uh, so they, they were trying to help me out. So it, it was good. Well, cool. Now you settled into Florida and picked up a day job. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, and I believe you have another podcast too. Yeah, exactly. So basically I've been, um, I finished my master's in Germany two years ago. And since then I've been in like an existential crisis. What do I want to do? Where do I want to work? What's my career? What Where's degree? my career heading? And what's that? What degree? Uh, biophysics. Uh, I did biophysics for my master's and then uh, mechanical engineering for my bachelor's in, in Utah. Um, so kind of, kind of different fields, you know, one's biology, one's mechanical engineering. It's just like, how does that really fit together? But, uh, the way it fits together is brain implants, neural implants. And, um, so it was, it was maybe six months after my, uh, my degree finished. I'm just like, you know what? I, I had gotten a job in Berlin then I had like visa problems. So they kicked me out and I was just having all this drama and I'm like, you know what? 
I don't want to deal with this drama anymore. I'm going to stick with the thing that I've all that has always interested me. And literally the only thing that has kept my attention during those, you know, three, four years of those intervening three, four years. And that was brain implants, you know, so I had done an internship uh, before in Utah, um, doing brain implants, you know, designing the actual implants, the, the actual devices. And um, so I'm just like, you know, I think this is what I want to do. And so I, I went after that, but I wanted to, uh, you know, stay in Europe and then after a year, I, I didn't find anything in Europe. And uh, in the meantime, I had started my neural implant podcast uh, to basically network and get to know everybody. And the problem in science, too, is like all the, the news, all the literature is behind paywalls. So you mm-hmm. have like a six-page mm. research paper and, you know, it could be behind a paywall. Either you pay like a $200 membership fee or it's like $30 for that paper. And it's just like, oh, man, like I'm going to have to read like 20, 30 papers to get kind of... Uh, on track with what's going on. And so I'm just like, you know what, I, I'm just going to talk, I'm just going to talk to the researchers, you know, and this is, this is my like, not caring to look stupid. Uh, I'm just like, I'm going to just call them and, and be like, Hey, you know, what's going on? What's new in your field? What are you up to? And, uh, you know, I, I've done that now for about a year. And because of that, I got this job here in the university of Florida doing a, being like a, a laboratory mm. technician. And, uh, that's with, with the idea, with express intent of it, you know, eventually morphing into a, a PhD, a doctorate position. Um, so I would be, I would be here for, you know, an additional three, four years. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a hell of a ride and, and it's been really fun to, to be working on such, such a big, you know, topic. And, and so, um, you know, so important, I guess too. And uh, yeah, it's been, but it's, it's been because of my ability to not, not fear looking stupid. <laughs> So where is the industry now? I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about it. Didn't, didn't Stephen Hawking have um, sort of an implant to help him with communication? Uh, I think his was more like uh, eye tracking and it wasn't like an invasive implant. So so what I'm doing is more invasive, like you have surgery and then, you know, you have something like literally around your nerves or something literally in your brain cells. Um, the state of the industry is is kind of like infantile, I guess. It's not that great and it hasn't progressed too much in the last... I think like 17 years or something like this. I was talking about, I was talking to people who had visual implants, like implanted in their brain, like a blind man was able to see with this uh, visual implant. And that was back in 99 or 2000. Mm. And, uh, and he was very, he expressed great frustration. Like it's not that much better now than it was, you know? And then you look at computers and, you know, Moore's law is, you know, every year and a half, the computing power doubles or the price of computing or whatever the newest you know, mm-hmm. metric they have. And unfortunately in, in, neuroprosthetics in, in brain implants, the, the number of electrodes, the number of sensors, the number of brain cells that you can, you know, record from at, at any one time, it doubles every seven years. So it's much, much slower and it's, it's progressing much slower than what we're used to in, in computing. Um, that being said, it does look promising mostly because we could be at an inflection point in terms of computing power and everything that uh, it could be more possible. And so for this reason, people like Elon Musk and uh, Brian Johnson, who sold his company to PayPal for uh, $900 million, I think, uh, they're getting into it and they've pledged a lot of money. They, mm-hmm. I think they most pledged something like $100 million into, uh, into this research because they see like, okay, we're about to hit, we're about to hit an inflection point. We're about to accelerate very, very quickly with this. And, and that's, that's honestly a big reason I'm here as well as uh, I, I, see, I see potential, but it's still in its pioneering days, I would say. Is it um, uh, supplementary systems that maybe are causing the, the hold back or holding it back? For example, power yeah. um, literally 
power for devices has been, um, I don't know, the governor, I guess, for growth within the computing industry. And I would imagine an implant has to derive power and how long a battery can last or how you get power to it and the heat effect of you've got a computer or you have some sort of chips that are going, that's generating heat and that can cause, I imagine, harm. Are these the things that maybe are are slowing it down to where it, it's seven years. I mean, a computer, it's a, you plug it in the wall and you can put fans in, you can compensate. How do you do that in your head? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a big, big issue is, uh, it's, there's a lot more moving parts compared to, uh, just the computer industry. I'm, I'm sometimes I look at them, I'm jealous. It's just like, Oh, we have an idea. And then they implement it and it works. And of course it would work because you know, it, it works on paper, but, um, yeah, in brain implants, there's, you know, there's biology and then you got a, a body fighting against it and then a body trying to stay in homeostasis, trying to stay in balance and you're trying to push it out of balance, but then the body's trying to pull it back out of balance. Meanwhile, the body's attacking you and it's just, it's just a lot of, a uh, lot of things. So, and then you got the FDA, the, the food and drug administration. That's like, okay, you can't mm-hmm. be putting poisonous stuff in the body, which of course is good. Uh, so, so you have to, you're very, very constrained. And then like what you were saying, you have, you know, power limitations, computing limitations, heat limitations. Um, you know, they, they like to say you shouldn't raise the, the temperature of the surrounding cells by more than one degree Celsius, which is not very much. So you, you know, you have to, you're, you're with, you have a ton, a lot more restraints, I think. And, um, yeah, so it's like, it, it's kind of a, a confluence of, it, it's a, a combination of like, four or five industries and four or five fields, all of which have, you know, their own limitations. So, so you can't expand too quickly uh, for this reason. But I would also say that uh, another thing is maybe the funding hasn't been there so much and there hasn't been so much brain power. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think, I don't know if we were recording at this time, but, but uh, basically I would say there's like 500 people in the field may like on the order of 500 people, not more than a thousand people in the field. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we could get that up to, if we could 100x that, if, if there could be 50,000 people in the field, uh, which there would need to be results and money and, you know, uh, uh, outcomes and patient outcomes, and all this kind of stuff, then I think it could be maybe not 100 times faster, but it could definitely be 10 times faster. The progress. Do you um, run into moral implications too? Yeah. Yeah. So I've had, I mean, I've had ethicists on the show and uh, that's, that's definitely a huge thing is like, what do you do? You know, and then, and then if you have, you know, stuff going directly into your brain. How does hacking look like? What, what happens in that case? And, and what I'm interested in is a peripheral nerve implant. So basically you have your brain and the brain cells there, but then also you have nerves going to the rest of your body, which control organs, which control your muscles and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's what I'm really interested in. It's like, well, okay, what if that device gets hacked? What if, you know, somebody can turn off your pancreas? That's, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody like bricks your phone or, you know, uh, you know, overheats your computer or something like this, or even, you know, the, the, um, oh shoot, the, in Iran, you know, with the, the nuclear, the nuclear agency, whatever they, they, you know, they, the centrifuges, they shut down the centrifuges. That's cool. That's nice. You know, you lose some money, but what if like, you know, somebody has the power to kill tens of thousands of people with the stroke of a button, you know, then, then all that other stuff that's cute, but this is like, that's a huge deal. That could be really, really big. So yeah, definitely some big questions there. And have you heard of the, um, carrying on that, um, have you heard of the central governor theory? No, I haven't. Um, that's from the running world and it was put out by Timothy Noakes. And the thesis of it is essentially your brain 
if you're running, for example, in a race and you're getting to the point of exhaustion, dehydration or whatever, it just shuts you down. Hmm. And you'll find like, I think it's a Julie Moss. If you ever want to look up something just crazy, it's a finish of an Ironman when she was literally flopping and crawling Hmm. because her brain shut down. It's called bonking. Um, there could be a consideration in performance sports. They have a problem starting to come up in cycling called mechanical doping, where they have little micro engines in there that help um, assist the rider by you know, one to three points of power or whatever. Not a lot, but it's enough. You know, all these margins. Technically, could an implant be mechanical doping of an athlete? Yeah, definitely. I think it could be used for that. Um, and, you know, strengthening strength and strength training or or literally anything you could you could tweak your your biology to be as fast as uh usain bolt and and yeah why not but but at the same time um it can kill you yeah it can kill you so so you are it is a double-edged sword and both edges are pretty sharp actually one edge the the performance edge is probably not as sharp as the the disadvantage the killing you side edge but um yeah it could be <laughs> it could be a huge thing um and you know that that is part of the ethical debate is like well the rich people are going to have this rich people are going to you know be improved with this they're going to have matrix style learning where it's like i need to learn kung fu and then boom in two seconds they know kung fu um and they're perfect at it just like you know just in the matrix and um but I don't know. I, I think I think uh, it's that's not such a big issue. Uh, I'm not so worried about it because I think life uh, and and technology has proven it's not the haves and the have-nots. It's the haves and the have-laters. And for me, have-later right. is not a big deal. Well, um, that in of itself, acquiring a skill without the discipline, could be seen as a problem. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, people and- people might rebel and be like a hipster style, you know, learning. Like I actually learned French the old fashioned way versus just downloading it. And everybody would be like, Whoa, that's so crazy. Why would you do that? Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think the Amish are, are hitting it right on the head is like, you need to work, you need to uh, do chores. You need to earn what you've gotten. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're not going to feel good. You're not going to, and this is, this is what we're feeling now. I mean, we have our food delivered to us, the doors open by themselves and uh, you know, we don't have to lift a finger uh, to do anything. And, and our work mostly consists of uh, pushing on keys. So uh, pushing on buttons. So uh, it's, yeah, I, I think, I think this would be like a, a huge extension of that. But what I'm trying to say is that, that we've already gone down this path and we've liked it. The majority of humanity is like, yeah, let's keep going. Okay, which is fine, but do you have um, standards within the industry to address these concerns as they happen versus um, hindsight later? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point is, uh, you know, how do you do it? And I mean, I don't know, like, yeah, you should have ethics, but at the same time, uh, acknowledge the fact that there's going to be people who break those ethics. And honestly, if if that makes them more successful, then they're going to be the ones that win. And, you know, the, the ones that are following the rules are going to lose. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, if, if it's, if it's really bad, I think in the end it's, it's a, a survivor mentality and, and you just do whatever you do to win. Um, so yeah, I don't know. In terms of companies, that's, that's what I'm saying. Sure. Sure. It's a, it's a troubling concern though. Yeah. And I feel that if you look at all of humanity, look at how much advancement we've had in the past hundred years versus 
the uh, several hundred thousand years from hunter gatherers. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, um, 1820 didn't look that different than 1720, which didn't look that different than 1620. And they were even more similar the further back we go. Yeah. But compare 1918 to 2018, and it is unbelievably different. Yeah. Staggering. Even just 10 years ago, I mean, you know, this is, this is an audio only podcast and, you know, people don't see my awesome light bulbs that I got last night, but, uh, you know, they, they, or your fine mustache. My fine mustache. <laughs> so they're, they're really missing out, but, uh, you know, these are, these are really cool, like ch- color changing led light bulbs. And, and I can like go around with the remote and just change the mood and I can, I can have like nighttime red, red versions or like I want to wake up and have more blue light. And, and, uh, so that's really cool. And it was five bucks a bulb. And so you, you can't beat it, you know, and, and this didn't really exist. It definitely wasn't at that price point, you know, 10 years ago. So, uh, yeah, definitely things are advancing much, much faster than they used to. Um, and we have to get used to it. Right. And some of these, um, advancements have costs that we don't see like, um, smartphone neck. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have a whole generation of people having neck issues and upper back issues because of smartphones. Yeah. It's a fact. Um, and, and that's a minor one. So I, I get very um, personally concerned when talking about, you know, sticking something in the brain. I can see obviously awesome magic like, oh, let me uh, have my my language chip. And that's an obvious one that, oh, wow, I can be like Latin and speak five languages and I didn't go to class for a day. But then I don't know if I'd actually speak them because you're learning it, the nuances and things like that. It's the process more than the result. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be some uh, ethical issues. You know, it's going to be like, uh, well, did you buy that house or did you build it? And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be stuff like that, you know, and there's definitely going to be the, the hipsters, the, the snobbish people that are like, oh, I, I built my house. You know, I built my log cabin with my bare hands, not even with tools, just with my hands. I had to drive in nails with my palms. <laughs> so you'll get all sorts of extremes, but, but definitely I think, um, I, I think it'll be like smartphone squared, you know, so, so basically what we have with smartphones, but much, much more powerful and much more intuitive, much more plugged in you know, quote unquote, into, into our psyche and into our bodies. Well, very cool. And flipping back to your travels, where do you think, um, things are going well and where do you think, um, things could really be improved? I mean, as we look around the world, what could we see and say, Hey, maybe we should study them a little bit more. So, there was a reason I went to Germany. I, I love Germany, Germans, and, and I don't know, it's, it's, that to me is, is kind of the ideal land. Um, and, you know, then with the, the way that they let in the migrants and everything like this, I, I kind of, you know, I was just like, okay, that, that wasn't cool. That wasn't a good thing. And so that, that kind of tarnished their reputation in my mind. But still, in my mind, I would say Germany is, is like the ideal place. And it feels like it's just got everything right. It just feels like the laws there make sense. You know, and then I come back here to the U.S. and it's just like, you can't drink until you're 21, but you can just drive it when you're 16. It's just like, no, it should be the opposite way. And uh, then things will be so much better. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's just, you know, minor stuff like that. That's, that's the place that it seems, it seems balanced where it's like enough socialist and enough capitalist that things are, you know, cutthroat and competitive, but not so much that people die and starve and, you know, are f- afraid to go to the hospital. So I, I really like it. And of course, you know, I, I basically, 
I spent like three years there. So, so the first year I was kind of oblivious to everything. I didn't really read any newspapers, was still learning the language. And it wasn't the last until the last two years that I kind of started to learn more about the social issues, social problem, because every, everywhere has its problems. Um, so I would, I would mm-hmm. see maybe more the negative side that I didn't see before. And, and uh, it was less idyllic than it was. So that's, that's the place that I would say, um, has got it right, you know, and they're, they're always, you know, they're also complaining about corruption and all this kind of stuff. But, but if I compare it to the U S then, then I'm just like, well, I think, I think we're on a whole different level for that. Is it because it was rebuilt? Um, as an example, if you look at roads in the East, like where I am in Virginia, it ultimately, they all came from game trails, which then turned into wagon trails, which turned into roads. So they're circular around waterways built up around, but then when you go west, like um, Salt Lake, even or Tucson, Arizona, they're laid out on a perfect grid and you could travel smoother. Well, Germany obviously was brought to its knees, brought down and then rebuilt. Could that be why you think a lot of things are right? Yeah, it could be that they've they've uh, they literally had to throw away those old traditions um, and yeah, maybe they were, maybe those traditions like monarchies or whatever that was holding them back. Uh, and, and they, they had to, I guess, be modern because you couldn't be, you know, uh, old fashioned or anything like this, because then you're, then you're a Nazi. Uh, but yeah, that, that could be, that could be the case as well, that that's maybe the case of the most forward thinking or most modern, I don't know, open-minded, um, country that, that maybe exists because I don't know, it's just, it, it, it had to, it had to shed it's, it's baggage, it's, it's history. Um, so yeah, that, that could be the case. Um, and, and I don't know, like from a lot of radio stories I've heard about Germany, they're, they're kind of more like, they're more practical. It's like, okay, we don't care, you know, about ideology. It's more like what works and, and let's just figure out what works and, and go with that. So, um, I, I don't know. I like it for that reason. And you know, this is just based off of my understanding too. Sure. Sure. And you said that, um, in the Slavic countries, the different ones look at different countries and have, have different views. Um, so now what is next for Latin? Yeah, good question. So I, I mean, you know, I just started here at this job, like, you know, a month ago. And so still getting settled in, usually they say like, it takes about six months for you to like figure, really figure out what's going on. And it really does feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose because I'm just like, Oh my God, there's so much stuff. And I had a little bit of experience, you know, and I've done classes and stuff in this, in this field, but, but still I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to be fluent in this language for, for at least, you know, few more months. But, um, until that time, I'm, uh, it's really good because my professor really supports my media outlook and I'm going to be like the, the media guy, the kind of the networking guy as well. So I'm, I think I mentioned that I'm going to be going to a conference in Minneapolis next month. And that's going to be, that's going to be a lot of fun because I'm going to be there, um, podcasting and I'm going to be there interviewing people. And, and I think I'm going to interview maybe 10, 15 people, uh, while I'm there. And so kind of get well, more well-known in the field and just, just build up like a YouTube presence and podcasting. And, um, you know, I want to be, uh, I want to build up and also earn it, but be like the, the most well-known person in the field, uh, and not like well-respected within the field, but also be known outside of the field. Sure. Um, and my idea, I want to do a documentary film, uh, talking about this, 
peripheral nerve implants and uh, something called bioelectronic medicine, which I think has a huge, huge future, is um, literally poised to disrupt the $1 trillion per year in uh, pharmaceutical industry. And, uh, you know, so, so I want to slowly work on this documentary. So I think the travel is going to be, you know, maybe on a back burner, maybe only for these conferences. And I'll be like, okay, well, I want two, three days, mm-hmm. you know, on each end uh, to, to enjoy Minneapolis and the, the surrounding lakes or whatever is up there. Um, but so that's going to be on a back burner. But my adventure is going to be, you know, business building, or I, I want to also start a business in this field and, and kind of this promotion of this field, getting more brains and more money into this field. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of my, I don't know, task for the next two, three years, uh, I feel. So, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Cool. So you're trying to bring the field to the masses and maybe exactly help find the next people working in their garage or inspire the people working in their garage to help turn the industry upside down. Exactly. You know, so, so prevent all those smart brains from going into finance and be like, Hey, come to neural implants instead pay, you'll you'll get paid one tenth as much, but you know, it's, it's got a good future. Well, where can people follow you so they can catch up with this journey? Yeah. So if you're interested in the travel side of things, the philosophy, maybe mixed mental arts side of things, you know, I'm, I'm going to be rebranding my, my travel wisdom podcast and, and going to be uh, travel wisdom, a mixed mental arts podcast. I'm going to be doing that soon. And uh, I want to, I want to change more to kind of what you're doing with unstructured and, but with a travel angle and with a new perspectives angle on, on things. So if people like that, they can, they can listen there. Or if you are interested in neural implants and want to find out more about it, then you can check out my neural implant podcast. And, um, you know, we, we don't complicate things too much. We, we don't talk about like, oh, yeah, the, the GAFP, you know, trans uh, transmitter or something like this or, you know, photophore or whatever. Uh, it, we keep things we keep things simple that a uh, reasonably educated person should be able to follow and uh, follow what everybody's doing and what's what are some of the new advancements in the in the field. So, um yeah, that's those are basically my my two uh, two areas that I would I would recommend uh, people to to follow me, and I'm on the Mixed Mental Arts Facebook group, and I'm decently active there. Well, very cool, and everybody do check out his podcast. It's a fascinating field, and it may have ramifications for all of us. So, thanks so much for coming on, and we may have to revisit in the future. Yeah, agreed. I like it. I, I like this. Uh, I, I like these conversations. We, we uh, recorded a, a podcast uh, with you uh, for my show and it was very enjoyable. MMA people are good. What can I say? <laughs> well, thanks again, man. Thank you. Hey everyone, Eric here. I want to thank you again so much for listening. I know your time is valuable, so I really appreciate you taking some. If you like what you hear, please spread the word. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as unstructured P as in podcast. Also, you can review the podcast in whichever app you use. It really helps a bunch to spread the word. Thanks again.